Steve Mathis production. Check it out, Pulp MX fans. We're proud to announce iPhone users can now get the official Pulp MX app from the App Store and have archives, show drops and technical info, stories, and even exclusive bonus Pulpcasts not available anywhere else. As always, use the discount code MATHIS at PTOsports.com, and when buying from Amazon, click the banner on PulpMX.com to show your support. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOsports.com. The original photo podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. As usual, I'm your host, Steve Mathis, and with me on the line is uh, a repeat offender here on the uh, podcast show, but uh, always uh, good to talk to him, and that's another than Enzo, Enzo Racing KYB suspension guru, Ross Maeda. Ross, what's up? Hi, how are you? Hey, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. No problem. No problem. What's, uh, what's new with you? What's going on? How's, uh, how's the rehab going? Uh, you know, we all know you've suffered an injury, man, a couple years ago now, maybe, and uh, how's that going? Uh, pretty good. It was uh, two years as of September 25th. I got hurt in 2009. Okay. And uh, I'm uh, still going to therapy um, once in a while, not as intensively as I was. Right. Because uh, it's gotten pretty expensive. But mm-hmm. luckily there's a, a special gym uh, only only uh, two blocks from Endo Racing. It's a uh, special uh, fitness center specifically mm-hmm. for uh, people with uh, handicaps. It's all got all adaptive equipment and everything, so I've been going there five days a week, mm-hmm. uh, working out and stuff, and then coming into work. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough to start seeing any improvements, huh, like two years in. Like, it, it's, it comes um, in very small chunks yeah they they told you know i got a lot of recovery in the first three months right and then uh yeah it was going you know i was getting so much uh, back so quickly you know i was thinking oh i'll be walking in six months right right then then it then it slowed way down and then now um i'm still getting things sporadically um i'll go quite a while with nothing and then all of a sudden something else will happen so you know, for sure I haven't given up. Right. You know, I'm not waiting to start walking, but, uh, I, you know, I keep working out and staying active. Right. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, you can never never give up, right? That's when you end up being there. Um, hey, what? Uh, so we're three rounds into the Supercross Series. What do you think? What's your thoughts on it? Um, it's pretty interesting, you know. Uh, I was uh, – I didn't really get to see that many other – other teams and other of the top guys running. I I was mostly just seeing uh, the Kawasaki guys, mm-hmm. and I knew for sure Villapoto was real, real fast and yeah. stable. And and I was especially impressed with Weimer. I thought he was had had uh, picked up quite a bit of speed. Yeah, he did, didn't uh, he? Yeah, but um, you know, I I had no doubts that uh, the top guys were still going to be. You know, on top. You know, I was right. worried about. You know, it was a big question mark for Dungey, but I mm-hmm. thought, you know, 
the bike would be have to be pretty bad to hold that guy back. So <laughs> I was pretty confident he was going to be, yeah, you know, pretty close to where he was. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had for you was uh, DeCoster, Ian Harrison, and those guys, Rob Henderson, RG3. Um, they've got that thing working pretty good, uh, fast too, quickly. Pretty confident that uh, when you know Roger there, I knew that he would be a driving force uh, behind pushing KTM to mm-hmm. step up and spend the money where it needed to be spent. And um, you know that's that's the one thing that you need a lot of credibility to get any company to step up and yeah and, and start spending money. And I knew Roger had that credibility, and he wouldn't be shy about pushing them yeah. uh, where they needed to spend money. And, and he, he's, Roger's a sharp guy. He, he knows that you need to surround yourself with talented people to, mm-hmm. to make things happen. And they, I think they have a pretty good crew that works well together. Yeah. Um, uh, Steel-framed, aluminum-framed. KTM, obviously, steel. Yeah, everybody else, aluminum. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is, are they... If you had to build a bike tomorrow, would you choose aluminum or steel? You know, I, I think a few years ago I probably would have said steel mm-hmm. because it always seemed like talking with uh, engineers and development people that the whole idea behind going with aluminum was kind of a, a modern mindset and that was the direction that everybody wanted to take. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like all the... Um, the Factory development was trying to make the aluminum framework as well as a steel frame. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, trying to work in the, the proper amount of um, rigidity and flex and everything. But in recent years, it seems like uh, it's kind of gotten that figured out now. And there's for sure, I think, from the standpoint of a designer, which I am not, mm-hmm. um, I think there's certainly, at this point in time, um, advantages to both. Right. Steel, steel and uh, aluminum. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's certainly not a, a glaring disadvantage to either, I don't think. It seems like the, uh, the Japanese guys have been kind of, they're kind of stuck on 48 or 49 millimeter forks on aluminum frames. They don't really go any bigger anymore. You know, there was that rush to make big forks and big shock shafts. Um, mm. And uh, and and it looks like KTM, one of those 52s, the white powers, WP. Yeah, they, and I don't. I'm not real familiar with what they're using at the factory level, but right. I had heard that they were developing an actual very big diameter fork that actually uses aluminum. Or two. So, wow. Okay. Uh, you know they're they're definitely moving towards the rigidity. Yeah. With big axles. Is is it? A, yeah, their axles huge. Is it is it a case of they're making up the stiffness that you need in Supercross on the forks and the axle, and the the, you know, the Japanese guys are making it up on in the frame material. Uh, you know, it's it's really hard to say because I know that KTM was developing that fork couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you know, before they ever had any intentions of going after. Yeah, I, you know, as I said, I'm not really um, uh, involved in their development right. or anything right. like that, but I remember hearing about it and uh, just different things about the directions they were taking from 
mm-hmm. German test writer, um, Bern Eckenbach, and he kind of was telling me that it was a direction that WP was taking uh, quite early on, and they were, you know, they weren't doing it in with Supercross mm-hmm. in mind. They were doing it strictly with uh, outdoor. Right. Hmm. Uh, you glad to see KTM ditch the uh, the no link? I know we last time we talked about it. You know, we kind of covered fundamentally what what you thought may be holding them back a little bit. And uh, looks like on on their supercross bikes, they've kind of kind of uh, gone back to a link. You happy about that? Uh, well, you know, it's it's one of those things where I've spoken with some KTM people, and they've uh, they've kind of said that um, uh, that. They they did it strictly to appease the American market. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, and they didn't believe in it. And um, you know, to me, I I definitely see uh, an advantage to using a you know mm-hmm. a linkage system with a motocross bike. But uh, KTM, even though they embraced it, they I heard that they were still. People in the design department that weren't weren't happy mm-hmm. <laughs> to be doing it. You know, to me, it it makes no difference whether they do it or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, KYB and isn't involved in anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, KTM owns WP, so there's never a chance of uh, yeah of KYB getting. getting in there. Yeah. Well. Bones was making some Showa stuff. I do know that. <laughs> well, yeah, KY and KYB does have, um, you know, components for uh-huh. the, the KTM that work quite well. Yeah. But uh, there was absolutely no way of getting into KTM yeah. to use them for factory or anything because who? it was counterproductive for them. I wonder who the Americans were that were demanding no link. <laughs> I think it was just the media, the magazines and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, who knows. Um when they developed the linkage, I don't know how closely you've looked at them or how, how much you've seen them or if you've had a chance to to look if uh, someone at KYB has got it. Did they copy a linkage system from somebody from a Japanese? Like did they have the same uh, uh ratio throughout from somebody? Uh, again, I I don't know. I haven't seen any official Okay. paperwork on it, but all all linkages on all makers are pretty close. Yeah. You know, they're everyone's kind of fallen into the same basic uh configuration. Okay. And uh, as far as rising rate, you know, everyone yeah. it, it almost seems like an annual thing where <laughs> people start having different ideas of which direction to go. Yeah. Yeah. What uh uh what's the next thing we're going to see, do you think uh suspension-wise? What's Couple things I have in my notes here, like obviously the, the single the single spring fork is back. I think it was tried in the eighties, wasn't it? At some point, didn't somebody have one? Like, yeah, I believe it was Marzocchi. Okay, had a, a, a fork, a single sided fork. But, okay, uh, so they're back now, back in vogue. Um, yeah, uh, and in Bones, I saw something on uh, Motocross Actions magazine or website about working on an air fork. Um, thoughts on either one of those? Yeah, um, that was something that took me by surprise quite a bit when it was announced because uh, um, the thing is KYB has uh, dabbled with air suspension Mm -hmm. 
quite a bit off and on, and uh, you know they they've definitely got something they're they're working on now. And so when we heard they were doing something with it, it came as kind of a shock. Mm-hmm. But um, it's you know it's it it's one of those things where um, my personal feelings w- were that with the the current um, economic situation and everything, I was I was kind of uh, jumping up and down and saying that we need to start uh, slowing down on technology for production bikes. Oh, really? And huh? Yeah. Get, well, that's just my personal feeling because um, I, you know, for sure, I, as a, as a fan and a uh, uh, a suspension person, you know, I'm all for mm-hmm. new technology and, and development and stuff like that, and I'm always looking ahead and looking for an advantage or whatever, but um, given the the current situation where yeah. you have to basically be a millionaire to ride motocross, I thought, you know, our sport's really in for a bad turn. Mm-hmm. When nobody has any money and the cost of the bikes is astronomical, mm-hmm. our sport is just going to get, you know, out of out of the reach. And uh, so I was, you know, I, I had heard that, you know, just from dealing with KYB and stuff, there there was a trend towards uh, trying to save money and and stuff, but. At the same time, the the manufacturers, the, the clients of KYB, mm-hmm. were screaming for <laughs> innovation, and, innovation, and, yeah. and aggressive, you know, innovation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of like, wow, you know, if if we keep going in the at the rate we're going, these bikes are just going to cost millions of dollars, and and we're going to just destroy the sport. But uh, apparently. You know, it's not going that way. They're right. still pushing forward. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as long as there's still people going to pay for it, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy yeah. about that. But, uh, you know, I was uh, I was kind of up on my soapbox for a while saying that we're kind of shooting ourselves in the leg by going to all these ridiculous extremes to, to have the latest, greatest, technology mm-hmm. because you know as you well know when we were kids if someone would have told me bikes were going to come stock with titanium foot pegs i'd tell them they were crazy <laughs> yeah exactly that, that will never happen in right. a million years but next thing you know they're 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 trying to do that and get the upper hand on their competitor by doing crazy stuff like that mm-hmm. so does the is the single spring fork here to stay is it is it is it much lighter than a dual spring one? Is that uh, the single sided fork? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard it's lighter. Okay. But uh, again, you know, um, it, it's as you said, you know, it's not really new technology or yeah. anything like that. But it's uh, you know, it's definitely something that was developed in the along the lines of saving money <laughs> you know i mean you know i'm not saying that it isn't an advancement or right. something like that but uh if you're asking me is it here to stay 
eh, you know that there I'm sure there's there's split camps even at Shoah that right. are are saying, well, let's keep going with this and keep developing it and making it better and better. And then there's other people that are saying, you know, yeah. why you want to do, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, why you want to split it up like that. And, and it's it's kind of uh, uh, it's certainly nothing that has a patent on it as yeah. far as I'm I've been told because as you know we said it's been done in the past. And, and the air fork. What are your thoughts on that? I mean that's. An old te- older technology, also. Yeah, right? that's also older technology that uh, you know was uh, developed and abandoned, and mm-hmm. now it's back. So <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, but you know, I will say it's back with some improvements and some new technology and stuff like that. So uh, you know, it's it's kind of exciting to be you know in the middle of this all this new stuff, yeah. but at the same time coming from the past, you know, you'll go, well, we did that before, and right. we got away from it because of this, and what have they done to improve it, and that type of thing. Um, but, well, well, you know, but for sure, it's, it's, uh, it has advantages and the, disadvantages. The real cool thing for you is that you work with the, the, the best racers in the world. Well, now that Timmy's retired, you know, not everybody, <laughs> but you work with the best guys in the world, and you know what's going on, but then also, you know, through Enzo Racing, you deal with uh, Johnny Seerider, that brings the suspension in, um, so you really have a good grip, I think, on you know what do we need and what does a local Johnny C novice really feel like? Do you feel like we're at the point where the bikes are way too good for the riders that are riding them? I felt that way for several years. Yeah, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was a turning point. Uh, it's been quite a few years ago now, where. Right. Um, when we went to the twin chamber type fork, yep. I was, you know, I was, there was a time when we were working with that at the factory level, and I said, oh, this will never, ever be production. It's way too sophisticated. Right, too complicated. And now here we are with it in sophisticated, you know, in, in production. Yep. But yep. we're also, uh, we are, you know, also um, approaching a point in time where when I was a kid, you know, and and uh, typically fathers and sons would, you know, let's lift the hood of our car and, and mm-hmm. work on the car today this yeah. weekend, Johnny. Right. And, you know, and it was like pull a head cover and get in there and, and do maintenance or whatever. Those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, you know, they it's, are. It's yeah. like you, you have to take your car into a dealership and spend millions of dollars having... You know, and hook it up to computers and stuff now, and we are approaching that in 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 the motocross industry, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. You know, I I you know I remember when uh, you know when I first started riding, we used to like pull little screws out of the back of the fork leg and pump the oil out of your yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the backyard in the dirt, right. and then uh, just measure out how many cc's of oil in a baby bottle and pour it back in the top right and you can't you know that's ridiculous (laughs) good luck and uh the same thing is going on with the you know with the four-stroke motors and stuff with the the efi i mean certainly the performance advances are there but the Mm -hmm. sophistication is taking it out of the hands of the consumer right yeah no you, you got a point um 
Well, if the air fork is back and the single spring fork is back, I've got an idea. Let's put a rod from the rear brake pedal to the compression adjuster. And as you push down on the rear brake pedal, it... Bass. Yeah. <laughs> when is that coming back, or is it? <laughs> uh, I, I doubt it. That was a Yamaha patent, which, interestingly enough, I remember when it came out here, mm-hmm. um, the the suspension component manufacturer was a company called Soki, which was a, a company owned by Yamaha, similar to show and honda right they had their own suspension company and it still exists but they just mostly do i think scooters and just small street bikes and stuff like that but i remember when that system came out and it was being developed here in the u.s you know ed scheidler was working with it Mm -hmm. with the yamaha production group and stuff and i was you know kind of interested in it but i just saw it as something that there was too much rider input involved. Yeah, that, you know, some guys would like it and some guys wouldn't. But I was very surprised to go to Japan and learn that KYB was actually making the the OEM version of that. Oh, really? Oh. Domestic Japan models. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Sharing. Oh, really, really weird. Uh, where are we at with uh, with triple clamps and? And offsets and and races and bearings doesn't it seem like, like the teams from people that I talk to the team the teams that you know people are kind of, kind of leaving them stock a little bit or changing them maybe a couple millimeters. It's not a lot of radical changes anymore in the front angle of the, of the clamps, the offset of the clamps or the or the rake and trail of the uh, of the bearing races. Do you find that, it, or maybe they're not well, even telling me it's anything? Kind but. of a trend where magazines were saying, oh. 22 is way better than 24, and right. and then triple clamp sales are going through the roof and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But uh, I think really in the big picture, the triple clamp offset is uh, it does some things better. It's always a trade-off, mm-hmm. and so it it really be, turns into kind of a a personal preference thing. And uh, you know you're going to get people that like this handlebar and hate that one right, right and so you know to 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 say oh this this offsets way better than that for everyone that's kind of like picking a handlebar bin and saying right. this is the best handlebar but then but jody jody always tells me to go in on the offset <laughs> well you know there again that's probably his preference <laughs> <laughs> but yet he speaks for us all, I suppose. But, you know, that I can't really, on his defense, he may ride it and go, I don't know how anybody right, right. would choose this over that. But that's the same with everyone. So, And the OEMs are basically shooting for the middle, right, when they're deciding. Exactly. Right. That's yeah. what I always used to say when I would talk to different aspiring suspension people or something that would talk to me. And, like a young Corey they, Hutter? Well, you know what they would say, you know, like, oh, that's, you know, it's cool. The ultimate is working with a factory team. And I said, that's, in a lot of ways, that's easier than doing Mm -hmm. production bike testing Mm -hmm. because production bike development, you're you're building a bike for someone that doesn't exist. It's like, you know, the guy testing it is is your your. Guy trying testing. to build a bike for a 
fictitious rider. Right. You know, yeah. a guy that weighs between 150 and 165. Mm-hmm. Well, which is it? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then uh, it's like the riding level is intermediate. Well, there's a bunch of different level intermediates. So, you know, the test riders are, are uh, for production by testing, the test riders are making concessions for what they think the public is going to want. Uh, I very, you know, a comment you often get in production bike testing from a professional test rider is like, well, I like it, mm-hmm. but I think for the production setting it's too stiff or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right. So they're always, uh, they're always making concessions for someone other than themselves. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, and then you, you, other times you'll get test riders that'll say, you know, well, I think we still need to work on it here. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to you? Well, it feels good to me, but I think for the average guy, he's going to want it more compliant. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's like there. there's, whereas when you work with a factory rider or a specific rider, you know, if he's he's comfortable and he's happy with it, you're done. You go racing and you change it next time. He has a bad result, <laughs> yeah. or you know, he just decides he wants something different. Um, but, believe me, uh, yeah, I've been there too. But wait a minute, you said last week this setting was awesome and incredible, and now you're saying <laughs> the setting that we worked on sucks ass. Hey guys, thanks for listening to these podcasts. They wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for BTOSports.com as well as the other advertisers. So I appreciate if you just listen to this, deal with it, order some stuff from BTO, and then we'll get right back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex field gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. I know Rich Taylor well, and, and you know Rich Taylor well. He has a long career testing production bikes. He told me that uh, one of the frustrating aspects when he worked for Honda was developing some settings in Japan, in America. Then they find out that the production bike, something along the line, got changed quite a bit. And the production bike comes out with sort of nothing or not his hard work uh, at all involved in the production bike. Do, do you find that at all? Has that happened to you, or, or, or do you have experience with that? Oh yeah, 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 sure. And it happens for many different reasons. Um, I've heard of it happening. Uh, reasons where tested in America and went back to Japan, and then the test 
riders in Japan tested it and thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> they just changed it. Uh-huh. But then the other thing that I think even Rich possibly didn't hear that often because I think even on our side we were kind of sworn to secrecy or not to bring it up or something. But right. very often uh, production bike settings, um, you can come up with a setting and then uh, we'll test it and then they'll say, yeah, that's perfect, we love it, make it. And then we, we turn it into Japan and then it goes through, uh, put it in a computer or what, I don't know. Right calculations and stuff, and then they'll call us back and say, we cannot use that for production. That setting is too high stress. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, Honda in particular is a very, um, what can I say, they're very thorough, mm-hmm. and they have the best, uh, I think, production development, in my opinion, because they develop things and test and test and test, and they, they'll say... Uh, this product, whether it be a suspension component or um, tire or whatever, and they'll mm-hmm. say it has to perform to a certain level for X amount of hours or miles. Right. And if a suspension component has a high-stress setting and uh, after X amount of hours it changes a greater percent than they they deem acceptable. Yeah, they'll say we can't use this production. This right, thing, we can't do it, and they will. They will be willing to accept a lower performing setting to achieve that goal. Huh. Very often, and uh, you know they'll call us back and say, "Can you change this and this?" And on the dyno, it says it's the same, and then we test right. Right. Different, but you know they'll say. Is it acceptable or not? Sometimes they don't even ask. They just do it. Huh. Uh, yeah, Rich said that the 97 CR uh, 250 aluminum frame was like that, where they, they got it working pretty good, Test went back to Japan, found out that it, it, it you know had some stresses in it that could lead to, to failure, and Honda just beefed it up everywhere. Yeah. And then it didn't it, work. With no time production, you know, and so stuff like that happens for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, actually, in their defense, the thing that I bring up to any um, motocrosser that has any experience, you know, at all, uh-huh. I ask them, I say, you know, like, uh, as a local racer, we used to, you know, buy like two or three bikes, mm-hmm. and then we would always say, I'm going to use this one for practice and this one for racing. Right. And uh, I would... Uh, Say I was practicing on the stock bike or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, I would say you practice on this stock bike for I don't know a year, mm-hmm. and at the end of the year, your 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 worn out stock bike was actually worked better than your worn out race bike. Mm-hmm. Your race bike that you had done every modification you could right. afford to do to and was twice as good as, you know, a stalker, at the end of the year, it was a smoldering piece of crap. <laughs> and and that is a testament to the, the stock configuration. Yeah. Practicing. Right. You and know, like when you, 
that that's you know that's something that people don't you know I've heard people say I bought this pipe and it's better everywhere and what's the matter with Honda how come they didn't come with this pipe stock right and I'll tell them because it probably runs two degrees hotter yeah and it took thirty hours off the life of that yeah thing. yeah 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 no, good and point. and people don't understand that. And nor do they care, really. But, uh, um, all the better for Mitch and Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, uh, the let's let's talk about the the YZ four fifty. Uh, let's talk about this first, James Stewart. Um, I don't know how much you read the internet or how much you surf the the web. I did a, a really uh, candid interview with Sergio Avanto, who you know well. Um, now working for Team Team Reed, um, engineer guy, suspension guy. Um, you know, it doesn't look like James' bike is working out there for him. It looks like it works. To me, it looks like it works. Uh, if he goes 110%, the thing works excellent. If he clips a jump, it gives him trouble. You know, everybody insists that's the way he likes setting it up because he just, you know, he goes warp warp 10. But uh, and when, when I interviewed Sergio, he said, uh, you know, all is well, and that's kind of the setup of the bike. And, 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 you know, he blamed it more on the motorcycle than the setup. Uh, I feel, anyways, he did. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, that bike and James's setup. Well, um, the thing is, usually, like everybody else, I would hold judgment on anything until I personally rode it. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I got injured before that yeah. <laughs> ever came out. Uh, I definitely had my own opinions on the Honda chassis. Right. Uh, and uh, its shortcomings and advantages and stuff. But uh, like I said, I've never really tried the Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And from the where I from where I sit, in as far as working with riders and dealing with customers and mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, it's it's one of those bikes that they've they've tried to I won't say reinvent the wheel, but. As far back as, like, uh, when I was working with Suzuki, with Mark Barnett, I don't remember the year, but Jeez. it was that yeah. year when they came out with that works bike where the gas tank, gas tank was an air box. Right, right. Gas tank was in the air box. And they just tried to centralize everything the way everybody said, you yeah. know, right. things should be. And, and we were basing that on people that, Actually, didn't ride motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right, but right. Uh, that bike didn't work either. And it just always seems when you try to, from my from my point, it seems like whenever from the from the ground up, when a bike is designed, uh, trying to just change the basic uh, configuration uh, with a purpose in mind, like centralization right. or something, it's never, it always opens up a whole can of worms or it does something different. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, the thing that I just kind of group everything as is, uh, I remember years and years ago working with Bob Hanna and Ivan Boyson had built a bike with a link on it. Right was his brainchild of how he believed, you know, motorcycle yeah. suspension. Chain torque, right? Eliminating chain right. torque Eliminating was his big thing. Eliminating chain right. torque and stuff like that. And the thing did what he said it would do. 
you were dealing with was chain torque definitely affects rear suspension performance. When you gas it, it, it mm-hmm. the chain forces make the rear suspension stiffer and right. so forth. But the thing was, modern riding technique had developed around that. Mm-hmm. And when you eliminated it, all of a sudden, guys would ride it and go, oh, it works way better when I do this. But when I do this, I fly over the bars. And they didn't know why. And it was because it was eliminating something we were used to happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to overshoot a jump line in a big hole, you held it wide open, and the suspension would get stiffer, and you'd, you'd survive. Right. But with that system, you'd floor it, and you'd land in the hole, and it bottom, and you'd crash. <laughs> You got some good points for sure. I spoke. I, mean, I know you're tight with Dubok and, and 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 the Yamaha guys, and I mean they, you know, off the record. Although we're on the record right now, off the record, they say, well, he crashed a lot on a Kawasaki, and now he's crashing on a Yamaha. So what's different? And you talk to some I'll people. See that I'll, the same thing. My whole opinion on on that too is I the thing I t- say about James Stewart is he is an incredible rider fantastic writer um, who is capable <laughs> of incredible things. Right. Uh, he, when he first came up, he couldn't do anything wrong. I mean, the guy would, like, be faced with a situation, and he'd hold the throttle wide open, <laughs> and he would pass seven guys. Right. And he'd make it, and he was a hero. And right. then... Now, just he's been around for so long, same situation, gasses it, clips one of the guys, and takes the whole pack down. Now he's a reckless idiot. Same guy, same judgment call, but (laughs) since it didn't work, you know, people are very, uh, uh, they're they're very critical of him. And to me, he's the same guy. He's. You know, if you want to call him reckless, you know, if he makes it, he's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, that bike was terrible. 
he won five races on it last year. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, was he just incredibly lucky? or <laughs> Five times, yeah. Yeah, or, or were those five times when everybody else screwed up? I don't think so. He made right. it. He made it win, you know. he He's the guy, the reason that bike won. Yeah. Um, well, you, you, you're much smarter than me. Let's get that right off, right off the right off the bat. Let's get that out of the way. But do you think, watching James, that his setup is is similar, not similar setup, but similar to the RC setup years ago? We 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 at Yam- when I was at Yamaha, we're all like, look at this guy. He can corner on on a dime, but he cannot go through the whoops to save his life. He's too dumb to set up his bike for everything. Ha ha ha. We we rule. Now, going, taking it that way to, you know, because Reed was killing him in the whoops, taking it that with James Stewart, now obviously he doesn't have the low rear end, but he's got what looks to be a low rear end and a super stiff front. Do you, do you at all see any similar at all? Do you see any similarities at all, or am I just... Uh... Well, you know, if you remember, there, were, there was a time when Ricky was lost. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like grasping at straws and... and I can remember going testing with him at Kawasaki, and we're watching him ride around, and and the rear fender was on the tire, right. and he'd come in and go, "This thing's a stink bug." I'm going <laughs> over the ball, and we're going, "What are you talking about?" Right. The bike looks like it has four inches of travel, right? But he would want it lower and lower, and 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 just he's just kicking me in the butt, and we're going. <laughs> Doesn't look that, way. <laughs> yeah. but he was just setting his bike up like that, and and then you know, and then he would make it work, or then all of a sudden something would click, and he changed something, and then no one could touch him, and then he was brilliant, mm-hmm. you know. So I, you know, there's riders that you know they weren't that good at setting up their bikes, but mm-hmm. they still won. Yeah. You know, and so to me, I always, I, you know, I, I make observations and stuff, but to me, the bottom line is when you talk to the rider, and if he's comfortable and he can hold the throttle wide open and he's ready to go for it, that's okay. the most important thing. Yeah. I've been with teams where the rider is perfectly happy and wants it to be like that, and they're like, no, right. we're changing it, you know, and I thought that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I've been with other teams where they've said, "No, this is what he likes." What Bob used last two years ago, so you're using it and right. changing that's not right either. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well there you go. So I'm wrong. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying <laughs> I know, that, I know, I know. that uh, you know if he likes it, right? Just, they just uh, get it into their minds that they want their bike set up a certain way. And if they're comfortable and they're winning, mm-hmm. who cares? <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. people can talk all they want. And it's like, yeah, that thing looks horrible, didn't it? Well, he laughed your guy <laughs> who looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, who, was the worst, uh, who was the worst fast test rider you've ever come across? The fastest guy who was the worst well, tester? There again, you know, I've, I've always said that there were different types of uh, racers. Right. I remember at Kawasaki when uh, Jeff Ward and Lachine were, were on the team and 
and Jeff was like a real steady performer, real mm-hmm. reliable guy. But from the standpoint of evaluating something and uh, setting something up, he was he was not very good. Right. But but what he was was what I called a racehorse. Mm-hmm. It's like you put a motorcycle underneath him and go racing, and he would figure out how to win. Right. Uh, I remember going to a test with him one time and and him complaining about something and he said oh it's it's kicking or it's swapping right, right. section or something so we made some changes and he goes yeah it's good now I'm I'm going around them mm-hmm. and I'd go and go go through it again you know yeah. we don't know that we fixed it yeah yeah and uh he he would just figure out how to make it work yeah. now in the big picture that's what kind of person you want riding your motorcycle in a race. Right. right. Because you get to the race on Sunday, and he, and if he goes, oh, it's kicking in those bumps, and then, you, oh, there's nothing we can do. And he's going to go, well, I guess I'm going to kick in those bumps and get last. Right, right. And give up mentally. And he wasn't like that. He was a very strong mental person, and he would just, you know, he wouldn't dwell on things, whereas sometimes... If a rider was too much of a technical guy, you yeah. know, he would convince himself, well, you know, we don't have a 21, you know, we don't have a, a 52 and a half inch rear sprocket. Yeah. I couldn't possibly win. <laughs> yeah. Or too high, you know, and then right. those kind of guys dwell on it and they defeat themselves mentally. Whereas these racehorse guys, they just put it out of their mind and they figure out how to win. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, and on that team, Jeff Ward was considered like the, the reliable, steady, you know, good, smart guy. Yeah. But in reality, he wasn't really that great at evaluation or yeah. test ride. He was more of a just a solid racer. And Ronald Sheen, who was considered kind of a goof off and <laughs> crazy, and right. didn't care and was knucklehead, but. That guy was actually a very, very good test rider. He could uh, evaluate something and go, I don't like this. Right. And, you know, his his verbiage or his articulation wasn't always the best. But, <laughs> but Slur, sometimes slurred a little bit. <laughs> the thing that was funny about him is I said, to me, my observation of him was that he rode like, uh, like, like the rest of us ride on the day that you show up and the track's perfect and you feel great and your bike feels great and you can't do anything wrong. And you're just gassing it a split second sooner than you usually do mm-hmm. and everything's working. And then you go the next day and everything's exactly the same and you can't do anything right. Right. And it, that's strictly you. Mm-hmm. Well, but the reason why is because for whatever reason, maybe you're not as confident and you hesitate a split second. You don't get on it as soon. Yeah. So your front end washes and then you get scared and whatever. Well, Lachine, in my opinion, rode like the good days all the time, even yeah. when the bike wasn't right, right or the track wasn't right. And that's why he would crash <laughs> because he trusted the bike so much the way you're supposed to when. Right. You're riding fast. Yeah. So if the bike wasn't right, he'd crash. 
<laughs> and he could tell you, oh, there's something wrong. I don't like it. Right, right, right. What, what is it? What's no good? I don't know. <laughs> I gas it there, and I crash. You know, I gas it where I normally gas it, and it doesn't. <laughs> goes away. Uh, so, you know, in, in that, if you knew what you were doing as a technician, it was like he was a, a pretty consistent guy. Yeah, he gave the same effort all the time. Right. Every, yeah, yeah. And you were like, okay, now I can just work around that. So uh-huh. if you were a tire guy and you put a substandard tire on the yeah. bike, he's going to crash and tell you it's no good. Right, right. He's not going to figure out how to sit forward a few more inches and get traction and make it work like maybe Jeff Ward would or something. But right, right. Oh, yeah, excellent point. Those were kind of the different kinds of, of test riders that I dealt with. Huh. Uh, quickly, we'll wrap this thing up a little bit. You had your brother Don working for you for a little while. How was that? <laughs> I, heard, yeah, I, I heard he knocked fun. over a nitrogen tank. Knocked over. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was in the, it was, uh, this particular night, I came and had come in late, and he was still in there working. <laughs> and uh, I was like, he was just tearing stuff down, and uh, we have a spring compressor, a, a tool for yeah. removing springs. And uh, you put the shock in there, and you you lock it all in, and then there's a hydraulic jack that you pump up, and yeah. it holds the spring down. You remove the clip and everything to get the spring off. Well, I was doing something, and I heard him banging with a hammer, just beating on something. <laughs> That's never good. Yeah, yeah. I, I go, well, what are you doing? And I, he looked, he just kind of looked back at me and kept going. And, and I go, stop, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I looked over at the spring compressor and, and the whole top of it was off. And I go, well, what are you doing? Yeah. And he had tried to take off a, a smaller diameter spring and, and you have to change the the, the fitting, the fitting right, yeah, yeah. Different size springs. And I don't know if no one had told him or what, but he had pumped it up, and the spring <laughs> just kind of jumped through the hole yeah. and was stuck in there. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, and he was trying to fix it before I saw it. Hit the spring back out, right. And so he was banging on it with a hammer. <laughs> And so, you know, I go, oh, give me that. And I showed him on it. We put it in the jack, and we got it apart. <laughs> and so he was all, you know, I didn't want you to see that I screwed up or something. <laughs> so I was kind of laughing at him. And then brothers we checking the nitrogen pressure on something on a, on a bike on the stand. And uh, I had brought the nitrogen bottle over by the bike, and uh-huh. I was wheeling around and Donnie moved it for some reason or something, and, and I think it was like so I could get through or something with uh-huh. the wheelchair, and then Donnie's back there just kind of hacking around, and he just kind of clumsy, and he knocks over the nitrogen bottle, and, it, and you know, you always hear these stories in shop class in high school, you know, you knock over a welding tank, and it knocks off the regulator. And, Everybody dies. And yeah, and you're a three stooges sitting on it, <laughs> headed to the moon on a nitrogen bottle or something. So, you know, we're always scared about that kind of thing, but he knocked it over, and it knocked the regulator off, and it was just, it was a 
<laughs> you know, it was really kind of scary. But right. I told him, no, no, just turn it off. And it's yeah. fine. But we'll, we'll live. Yeah, it was like one of those things where he was just doing one thing after another. <laughs> and he was going, when you're not here, nothing goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> he had a bad day. Uh, you should. You would have fired him, but he's your brother. <laughs> uh, how is business? How How is uh? It's is, good. good? Um, yeah. We're busy. You know, the the busy season always hits uh, during the the race season at the beginning of the summer. Yeah. Oddly enough, it goes slow in the summertime. Right. And, uh, you know, but I think in Southern California it's too hot. Everybody wants to. They'd rather go to the beach than yeah. go riding. Yeah, for sure. Plus, they're waiting for their new bikes. And, and the other like guys, that. the other guys are just—they're already set up because in the spring they get ready. But uh, so it goes real dead in the summertime, and then it gets busy in the in the winter time. Okay. Um, EnzoRacing.com is that where we can check it out? Yeah. That's yeah. The website. Yeah, for people who, who may not know. Uh, last question for you. Um, how come? Why don't we just make bikes with like sixteen inches of travel and eighteen inches of travel? How come travel has been stuck where it's been stuck? What? what why don't we just um, we, wow. we kept going more and more, and then you know in the early eighties it'd be like now with twelve inch suspension travel. I think uh, the big limitation is the size of the wheel. Oh, okay. And and uh, and modern, uh, you know, just kind of the construction of the bike if we had a 16 inch front fork you need a ladder to get on the bike and you have to remember it isn't just the travel between the tire and the fender that's true We're also talking about the distance between the bottom of the frame and the ground yeah so if you put a 16 inch travel fork on the bike and it sat the same way it does now Fork wouldn't even bottom out, and your case is frame would hit. Right? Yeah, that's a dumb question. Maybe I'll edit that one out. Yes, it was. <laughs> but it brings up another funny mm-hmm. um, theory that I had one time, and I had I had said to someone that uh, if you think about like kids on eighties, mm-hmm. and then you know they they're super super fast, and then they move up to a big bike, and then they're twice as fast. It's because the, the scale of the bike, the size of the wheels and stuff, what they're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a triple that's easy on a, on a, a 250F is, or say 450, mm-hmm. pretty much impossible or close to impossible on an 80. Right. Um, I thought, what if... Uh, we made a motocross bike with, you know, foot, base foot basketball players riding them. <laughs> and the front wheel was 27 inches and the rear yeah. wheel was 22. And we built a bike scale for Shaq to ride. Right. I mean, he would like be going, braking bumps would be the size of triple. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. You know, so yeah. if you think of it in that scale, I mean, they would be jumping football field. That'd be awesome. You know, it would. Yeah, I mean, you or I would have to ride 80s then. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But just from from the the scale of the motorcycle, that's where the limitations of what you're talking about.
to make a bike that had, you know, 16 inches of travel, you'd have to have a gigantic wheels on it. You know, the wheel set would have to be a lot bigger, and the frame would be a lot bigger, and therefore the rider compartment would have to be bigger. It would be, you know, the rider would have to be a big guy. Yeah, good point. You're right. It's all it's all relative, yeah, like you said. Um, all right, well, hey, thanks, uh Thanks, Ross. I appreciate it. Um, always a good talk. Always, always learn something whenever I talk to you. Every time. And I think this one is no different. So, guess uh, we'll probably see you at Anaheim. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, great. All right. Thanks, Ross. Uh, Ross Maeda from Enzo Suspension uh, for doing the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast. See you around. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to find the more than 200 episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.